going on everyone welcome back to your next favorite jam with jam i'm your host john angus mcdonald and i first started doing this little series during the pandemic the global pandemic of 2020 2021 as you may recall to sort of pass the time away on my band the trues socials uh, namely instagram i would bring guests on once a week and mostly old pals and we would just shoot the shit and catch up and talk about music and life and what have you and we would talk uh, about adding music to a playlist i was building that was meant to be a discovery mechanism for everybody during the pandemic because there's nothing like finding a new jam hence the title your next favorite jam so uh, a lot of these chats are uh, looking back at them they're really really great and i'm really glad that i had them so i'm going to take them off of just instagram and um bring them over to, to YouTube and other formats where you're probably checking this out now. Um, because even though they were done, um, you know, a year ago in some cases, uh, they aren't too terribly time-stamped besides a little bit of like pandemic talk here and there, maybe some political talk here and there. But but uh, in this particular one that, uh, that this is intro is for, this is my chat with Brent Fitz. Um, now, Brent Fitz is a Canadian musician. He's a, a drummer. Um, for the last decade, he's played with Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. He's one of the Conspirators. Um, our friendship goes back before even that time, um, but he's played with Vince Neil and he's played with Alice Cooper. Uh, when I met him, he was, uh, at the time, the drummer for Theory of a Dead Man, and we were doing some some shows together. Uh, so we, we go way back, and it was great to catch up with him. Um, in this chat, we talk about everything from... Uh, you know the history, the, the history of rock and roll. Really, we're talking about the Beatles and Zepp and and Ace Frehley, and we talk a lot about Slash, and we get a little into the weeds about some of the musical nuances of of what it means to play on stage, uh, what it means to play together as a band. We talk about tempo and timing and playing on and around the beat, and he has a lot of fantastic insights because, uh, like I said, he spent a decade on tour with with one of the world's best. Uh, certainly a, a amazing legend of, of rock and roll and that's and that's slash so uh, this episode was captured on september the 16th of 2020 and again all of these episodes in their entirety are preserved in our instagram feed um, at the trues if you want to go back through instagram tv you can watch the full episodes I, I did them live so i spent the first 10 minutes adding songs to a playlist uh the playlists are all available on spotify and I would interact a little bit with the live chat. That's why I decided to edit that part out because it doesn't really make a lot of sense without the comments, uh, which aren't there anymore. Um, so this is a little new intro for that. But if you want to go get the full episode, the full context, I usually did a little chit chat before and a little chit chat after and direct people to the playlists. Uh, the links for all those things exist in our bio over on Instagram as well. I'll also drop some links into the, uh, the comments on this post so you can go back to the the full archive of everything and the full episodes for now i'm just uh piecing a few of them out uh and putting them on the out in the outside world uh beyond just the true socials and and they're really great chats if you're a fan of slash if you're a fan of drums if you're a fan of live music or if you just want to hear two old pals catch up um then uh you're in the right place so um 
without further ado, this is your next favorite jam with Jam featuring Brent Fitz of Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators and a slew of other uh, amazing acts. And he was coming to me from Las Vegas where he lives. I was in my attic where I, I still am, where I was recording these shows in Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, it's a great little chat. I, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, keep an eye out in this space because we're going to keep uh, keep pushing a few more of these episodes out. Peace. Brent Fitz. Hey, John Angus. How you doing, man? I'm great. God, it's good to see you. It's great to see you, too. And I, I just was thinking, uh, I've talked to you a bunch, but did I see you last maybe in Toronto, maybe when I came through with Flash? Or or I know we we played together. We actually did that. What was that awesome gig we did way out on East Coast? And I think it we, was... We played um, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. It was us slash and, and the co-conspirators and Aerosmith. Yeah, how's that for a triple bill? That's yeah. a pretty good bill. I don't know why that didn't go all the way around the world. And that's I, know, so I, know. <laughs> I love that gig because, um, well, I don't think Aerosmith had ever played on that, that part of the world, right? No, definitely not. It was very Canadian. It was very East Coast, and it was. I was proud to be there. But it felt kind of cool to, because I think some of the other guys. I don't think even Slash and them were. It was almost like people. Some people were out of their element. I felt. Yeah, they I weren't aware that they weren't aware that Cape Breton existed. It was called. Somebody's commenting. It was called Cape Fest. That's what it was called. Yeah. But was that the last time I saw you, man? It's been that. That's like five or more years ago now. That that's a long time. No, I'm thinking maybe when we came through. I got to hang with you guys maybe at a slash gig downtown Toronto maybe or did we play mm -hmm. Hamilton or, or oh that's I, right oh, that's no, right I, no it's Hamilton because that's where I live now yeah that's right we went and saw you in Hamilton no I know what it was uh you know what we played together for the Grey Cup in Edmonton oh uh, okay <laughs> that was only two years ago your your memory is is beating mine right now yeah so uh, we played pre-game in Edmonton, out at the stadium. Yeah. And um, I was oh, that's right. Duke. With Tuke. With Tuke. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And it was cold. It was a really cold day. It was. Yeah. Uh, it, stadiums. No, I know, I know. It's great to see you, man. And I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, for those living under a rock, you, you've been playing with Slash, Miles um, Kennedy, and the co-conspirators for what, like six, seven, eight years now? Decade. A decade, wow, okay. And I've like seen this band, I've seen you guys at least, I don't know, a half a dozen times, and it's it's a great band. I mean, I wanna say it's Slash's second best band of his career. <laughs> and I mean, no no offense, I, I only, uh, only cause I harbor that appetite era, you know, hold it dear as so many do, but you guys are just a really great band. Well, and we exist because of the the band Guns N' Roses. So to be part of the family tree and to yeah. have another, um, you know, musical outlet that, that uh, you know, for, for a guy like Slash, who's wrote a lot of great songs mm -hmm. and had a lot of success, it's really cool to be in a, in sort of like an, it's almost like we're still an upcoming new band in a way we're always trying to prove ourselves slash is very 
much always trying to write a better song than the last ones and to have the ability to be part of that it's different than guns and roses because guns and roses is such a a it's that's an institution you know that's yeah. there's not many bands that are top of the pile that's one of the greatest rock bands that still oh, exist you know i know um, i know but slash has a lot of great energy i know you've met him many times and and uh, it never it never gets old for me the fact that i'm from winnipeg so <laughs> i'm kind of a small smaller city canadian guy that never yeah. takes things for granted so i'm very proud that um you know he could play with anybody but no as you should be and and you're selling yourself short because you're you might be small town but you're you're big talent and that that's where it, that's that's the difference maker but but one thing you guys do is you play you play hungry you know what i mean by that like you play like like you said you're going for the jugular you're not you're not nobody on that stage is phoning it in and and i i i mean all you guys and but to see a guy like slash at his the phase he is in his career he's a legend but he's still out there playing hungry you know hungry for it hungry to hungry to deliver the greatest show ever and like i love when a band takes the stage with that attitude to me that's that's the greatest thing ever you know yeah there's no complacency so i'm always yeah. trying to keep up with him and if he's you know the guy that's had the most success he should be allowed to sort of just take a take a break and just right. go, well, you guys you know you cover for me never i'm always yeah. trying to keep up to him so you know it's really great and inspiring when um, I know you've been playing a long time and so have I, and, and uh, we cut our teeth on, on a, you know, there's a great musical circuit in Canada where, you know, in, especially in the late eighties, we had a lot of chances to play in front of a lot of people six, seven nights a week. And so I right. got all the bad notes out of my system, got all the, got all the good notes into my system, you know. And, <laughs> all you those know, extra fills, you got all, you got rid of all the extra fills. Yeah. Oh, oh, believe me, it started at, you know, you start at Neil Peart and then you work your way back to Phil Rudd. Right, right, right. Oh, God. I love them both for different reasons. but man. Uh, No, me too. But, you know, yeah. you'd have to know when to be, uh, you know, more of uh, the, the, it's, Slash, we've, we've often said when you're a musician and you're thinking, when you have to think about how you're, you're performing and executing, either writing a song or performing in front of people, there's the, the waist up, and the waist down mentality. And yeah. if you think about a band like Led Zeppelin is a lot of from the waist down. It's, uh, you know, if I can use the term, it's a sexual, you know, mindset as opposed yeah. to a cerebral. But more, vis more visceral than cerebral. Yeah, right. Yeah. I totally know what you mean. So I, I do love Neil Peart. He's one of my favorite drummers. And that's part of what I subscribe to as a musician, you know, is that, you know, have all those that musical vocabulary and all those extra notes, but you don't and have that, to that them. precision. Yeah. Yeah. And then Phil Rudd just makes my, it punches me in the gut. And when I hear an ACDC song and I hear that simple two and four, I go, yeah. well, that's perfect. That works for me. And, and I think maybe, uh, do you agree? Like when you, um, when you're playing with guys you like, you know, in a band, like you, you're lucky enough to play with your brother and a bunch of yeah. guys you played with a long time, you know, yeah. we just have our musical vocabulary. We don't say a lot. We just play yeah. well together. And it's so well. well. It, it sounds like a cliche, you know, because it's been said, but it's so true. It's like you just, you're there to serve the song and the, the energy of the moment, you know? And, and that can so easily be disrupted by like being a bit undisciplined. You know, yeah. you could very easily, like Slash is a guy with an immense 
like range, but he knows when to go off as you do. Like now this moment calls for me to go and show my chops, but those moments have to, you have to hold out for those moments, you know? And I think that's, that's the difference, you know, that's the difference maker is those who know when to hold back and when to let loose, you know? And, and when I always thought Phil Rudd played, like he didn't want his cigarette to go out. You know, the amount of times I've seen Phil, like with the cigarette, <laughs> it's almost like if he played too fast, it might go out or ash on his pants or something like that. <laughs> and the fact that he played with a cigarette was always, <laughs> I was never cool. So I, I probably tried to put a cigarette in my mouth and be Phil Rudd, but you know, just, it didn't quite work, but right. somehow, and, and you know, how, how about Slash with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth? Let's, does let's he still smoke? Smoking, but does he still smoke? No. Uh, I think I think Slash has done more for cigarettes and less Pauls than anybody, uh, you know, previous, you know, like I bought, I, I started playing less Pauls because of Slash. Like I, I thought that's what a real guitar player should do, you know, because I, even before I, I had an electric guitar, I was like, when I get one, it's going to be a Les Paul, you know, because of Slash and I'm probably going to smoke. And I, you know, I tried that on. It didn't, it didn't fit. What about, can we honorable mention Ace Frehley? Of course we can. Yeah, yeah. We did a whole tour. I, I think we hung out when we were on that tour. I think we did like 50 dates with Ace. I saw uh, in Vegas. That's right. Yeah, you were touring with Ace. And uh, I mean, I, but because I loved Kiss in the 70s, and of course, Guns N' Roses came out a decade later. But, yeah. you know, me as a musician, seeing a Les Paul was always, you know, Jimmy Page as well. But I just remember that visual of all the posters and, and Ace Fraley was sort of, and yeah. I, and I, Bosch would even admit in some ways that, you know, he, he definitely looked up to Ace. And Ace's shot fire out of it too, which is always an extra layer of cool. But it does come down to a generation thing because I found Paige and Ace after Slash just because of when I was born, you know, like, yeah. like guns got to me first, you know, cause they were like the biggest band in the world. And I think about this often, they're a band who on their second album moved into stadiums. Like the Stones moved into stadiums 20 years into their career. You know what I mean? Like ACDC moved into stadiums 15 years into their career. Guns N' Roses on their second record are like, no, nope, we're playing stadiums. It's going to be horns. It's going to be backup singers. Like they just, it's like boom. And they were like equal to the Stones. And I don't think that's happened to a lot of bands. And so like when they arrived on the scene, it was like this, this atom bomb went off in rock and roll. And so that's when I was like nine or 10 years old. It's like, I'm never going to, no, no band's ever going to hit me that way again. Cause I'll never be nine or 10 again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's just. It's, uh, true too. Like, don't you feel we were so sponge, like everything I absorbed from, I don't know, when I was eight till about 16 is sort of yeah. where I'm still at. Musically. Right. Like I, I always go back to that time. Yeah influence are, are still so a lot of the bands maybe I did you know like I love Kiss I love Cheap Trick and I love Zeppelin and I love Aerosmith and mm -hmm. we you know, we do love a lot of those you know like those straight up kind of rock bands but anything that comes out today that still you know it, if it does pique my interest it it's usually what something that brings me back to that that time zone in my life where yeah just so much more absorbent of of all the influences but yeah around 10 was a pretty yeah. good time. Ten to, ten to like, 10 to 15, 16. I, I don't know if music ever means more to you. Like we get better at it and we refine it and we get to see things in a broader way. But I don't know if it like, 
in that visceral way if it ever hits you as strong again you know and I, yeah go ahead go ahead no i mean i i am always looking for something new to keep me um you know i think as musicians we're always interested in in fresh sounds and music but i always tend to gravitate towards you know i'm i'm i guess i'm set in my ways in some ways because of those so, those styles that came out in the 80s you know it's more of that that um it's kind of like the four piece rock band is a perfect band to me and then yeah. anything else sort of rounds it out but a four piece rock band with guitar bass vocals and drums that's uh, the meat and potatoes yeah yeah and, and, a, and a lot anything with melody is important so you know the beetle influences of all the bands that came after the beatles which yeah. you know many many bands that were even Kiss was influenced, or Cheap Trick, or anybody know. who wrote songs was influenced by the Beatles. I don't, I don't know how, as a song, if you're a songwriter, then after the Beatles, you're influenced by the Beatles. I, I don't know how you could not be. I know. I mean, they kind of did everything within a, you know, however ten-year lifespan of a band. It's it's incredible to keep going back and and uh, and I would say Beatles could be the most important band for me and influential. But yet, I don't always listen to the Beatles every day. But they're 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 there still yep. being an important piece of anything I do. And I'm always referencing, you know, when you listen to other songs or, or you're trying to write songs, you can just always go back to a Beatles song and go, well, you know, they already had kind of covered so many things back in the, in the sixties. Like it's incredible. true. Yeah. It's true. It's, it's humbling. It's, it's kind of, they're like a humbling band when you and realize about, how much they've done. How about the, that Paul McCartney still tours? I know as we're, we're, none of us are touring, but the fact that he's, he's able to have been the first and yet still probably the, you know, the guy with the most energy still filling a stadium. And I like, I, I can only hope that that's, that's what I'm, that's my benchmark, you know? <laughs> he, he's an inspiration to us all, man. Uh, um, quickly, before I get to, to other points in this conversation though, uh, two things you said to me sort of off the record, let me know if I'm, I'm I'm stepping out of line, or if this should remain off the record. But you did tell me when you joined Slash's band that you asked him to let you be the timekeeper, let you be the metronome. And I thought that was a really deep, uh, I don't know if we're getting too muso here for the people that are watching, but like, I thought that was a really deep point. Like, like there's something about playing something at the right tempo, you know, and, and as guitar players, I'm, I'm one of them. We, we love to run out and like rip into the lead riff. And sometimes we're getting out ahead of ourselves. And I think you said you said something along the lines. I don't know if you remember this. That you were, you're like, let me set it, and and forget it. And you kind of put your sort of your not your sort of like career in the band on the line on that thing. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna set the tempo. Is that? What, tell me about that. I I definitely take responsibility as the drummer. That job should be to make all the instruments gel well together. In a right. in by choosing the tempo of a song. And that starts with when you write a song, you got to pick a right tempo that's going to, you know, work from when the the impetus of a song is created. And and I've spent many, many, many hours in a, you know, like a rehearsal environment, just like you guys do. You know, you get in a room and guys write songs together. And and between Slash and and usually Todd Kearns and I, you know, Todd playing bass and and me on drums, we've spent a lot of time discussing where the tempo should should fit. Now right. Slash is very adamant about the tempo and how it, it feels in a, you know, again, sometimes that above the belt and below the belt way of thinking, where is it, where does it feel and how does it, 
So where does he gravitate naturally slash? Where does he gravitate? Does he gravitate a little ahead of the beat? I mean, I know he sort of plays behind the beat stylistically, but if he's out ripping the intro, is it going to be a little faster than the record? So I would say naturally he is ahead of the beat in a good way. But we're mm -hmm. all, because of his intensity and he's very, um, he doesn't want it to sound, you know, like slow in a, um, in any Boring way. Yeah, it's always yeah. about excitement, but yet we want it to feel back. We always reference Led Zeppelin and that sort of, it, you know, it is drawn off a lot of sexual where it, you know, it just feels and, and, you know, Zeppelin would be probably the best in Aerosmith for some of those bands that just know yeah. where to put the pocket. Aerosmith so play things, Aerosmith sometimes play things downright slow. Like nowadays, especially like you hear them start walk this way and you're like, is that slow? And then until you hear the guitar drop, you're like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've debated a lot playing songs live after you record them. And should it be a little quicker live? Well, there's certainly no rules, but it seems like with, you know, your adrenaline rush, things are going to be a little more peppy and a little more, you know, just off. The, they're going to just be kind of flying ahead because uh, you're feeding off the crowd and, and the energy, you know, on stage. But I am a fairly, um, most of how I, I, you know, treat my, the way I, music should be, you know, it should be aggressive and exciting, but yet I want it to feel back. I want it to feel where it's almost like falling backwards. Like, you know, when you listen to a, uh, maybe even an ACDC record and that snare drum is just sitting back in the mix and it just feels back, but yet the tempo's steady. So I right. always feel steady tempo, but yet feeling back. But yet the band is cooking. So how do you make, how do you navigate three tempos in your head? Things are racing in the back, but you're also trying to pull it back. And then okay, let me ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. If, if Slash comes out and it's a song without drums off the top, like if it's Paradise City, will you, will you pull them back if it feels rushed? So we have a, um, I'll call it a subliminal count that I don't, he doesn't ask for it, but sometimes I give it to him just as a safety because in some ways it's still, uh, you know, we're, we're playing on stage together. And even if he's doing an intro to a song, sometimes I will give him just a little luxury of in the back of his mind, there's a subliminal, you know, right. two and four. Yeah, yeah. And he might not even, he might not even comment on it after the gig. Hey man, thanks for giving me that. But I give right. it to him just because I might think, well, you know, let's, let's just try to have it where, um, you know, it's just a bit of a comfort zone because we work so well together and I'm not trying to pull him back or anything, but, but what happens is when we rehearse, a lot of times the tempos in a rehearsal room before a gig, we might be like, I don't know, man, this seems really slow and we'll discuss it. And that's where I'm kind of, I've, I've done enough rehearsals pre tours with Slash, you know, over the last 10 years and, yeah. and the rest of the band where we're always trying to figure out like, where's our head at before the start of a tour? It's different right. than halfway through a tour. And we do find that songs evolve even on tour after you've like, you know, you guys have wrote a lot of songs together. Yeah. And that song that you play off of the first album, you know, you've played a thousand times since the day you recorded it. Sometimes it yeah. just has a different purpose now and a different, it just sits differently. In oh, the completely, yeah. You know, you might totally. play it at the end of the show, you might play it at the beginning. And yep. so there's like so many variables, 
the one thing that we don't do in the slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators Band is play to a click. That mm. has always been, uh, we will not do that. Yeah, we don't do it either. I, I, we've, yeah, we've resisted that completely. Um, it's just something about that feels unnatural and, and nothing against the bands that do it, but we don't, we've never ever done that. But we have, we've had a lot of fistfights after shows about, not literal fistfights, verbal fistfights about, you know, certain songs like well you started that way too fast well you pulled me back and blah, 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 blah. but it's true like whether it's an opening song whether it's a later song you know all, all those things so i'm just curious about how it works in, in your band and i remember you telling me that you you asked slash to let you be the timekeeper and it was a bold move and it, and it paid off obviously because 10 years later you're still playing with him so well i would hope that if my job requirement is to be reliable relied upon in that sense and i don't like to to um you know, numb myself on stage and get all, you know, fucked up, drunk or whatever to like alter the focus. I mean, we're, we're a pretty intense focus band. Like everyone's sort of in the same headspace. We really like playing together live. We really like, you know, we like each other's company on and off stage. And it sort of translates into why I said, we don't always talk about things, but it wasn't necessarily something I would comment, comment often to slash about tempos, but we do discuss them. But it's sort right. of like, I want him to feel like he knows that I'm always self-conscious of where the songs are during the show, whether right. it's a Friday night or a Tuesday night, a sold out gig. Right. Are you there? Oh yeah, you froze up for a second, but you're back, you're back. A phone call, a phone call just came in. That happens. You know who just called me? Eric Singer. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm dropping names. Tell them the Drew's family says hi, the, the live community. Um, I love that. You also told me that you brought in Todd and because and you, you, you said that Slash needed a bass player to play with a pick. And I thought that was like also very good advice. Well, because of where Slash's comfort has been in the Guns N' Roses, you know, where that, you know, Duff McKagan is. Yeah. If, I mean, how do you not? Uh, we're going to play Guns N' Roses songs as well as a bunch of Slash's catalog. How do you play It's So Easy with, without a pick? You know, kind of thing, yeah. Without question, it's a pick. Yeah. It's, a, it's a low slung, you know, if you want to stereotype it, it's kind of like the Fender Jazz, Fender P through an yeah, album. Yeah. And then, you know, if you want to move around from there, fine. But it has to start there. Yeah. It has to start at the basics. And Great. it has to be, you know, and that's that's why Todd... I didn't tell him what to do, but when he showed up, that's how he, he he's knew. perfect. He's perfect for that band. He's perfect for that band. And if you, yeah. if you're talking to him, tell him I said, hi, cause I haven't seen him in a while, but, but he's I perfect for that band. And he's also got pipes of steel. Like, you know, it's like, it's like having a second lead singer in waiting in the wings for when you need him. It's kind of great to have like everyone. So in, in that band has a, an extra dimension, an extra, yeah. you know, kind of like Todd's, for the for the most part, he's actually a lead singer, guitar player, front yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Age of Electric, bass. all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And he's kind of co co leads vocals with Miles, only in the sense that Miles is the lead singer, but Todd and him are so strong. We call them the uh, the Heverly Brothers because <laughs> they're so good it. together. And uh, and Miles is an amazing guitar player. As, yeah. as well as a singer, so. Yeah, I heard Slash quoted somewhere saying he thinks Miles is better than he is, which I can't even, I can't even, I can't picture that. I've never seen him shred, but I mean, I've seen him play a little rhythm, but man. 
that's yeah, crazy. As music, as subjective as, subjective as it is, um, I think Slash, in the sense of Miles having a lot of technical chops, he's really fluid and really smooth. And, and you know, he's studied a lot of music and he's just right. good with, knows all his chords. And, and he, yeah, he's really a great guitar player. And so his electric playing is great, but he's a really um, smooth, you know, his acoustic playing is so great. And, you know, when you sing and play guitar, that's, a, that's just another thing to, to, to make that work well together. Miles is just really comfortable with right. that. And, um, but, you know, we're all striving to be special. And yeah. there's just something X factor about some people on planet Earth. And when the second Slash picks up a guitar, nobody sounds like Slash. And it's I just, know, man. Uh, it gives I know. you bumps because you're just like, it, it's, it's just, you can't put your finger on it. I know, man. Like it, it changed my life. Like I could literally, I told him this. I think I told him this directly, you know. And like he's like, "What am I supposed to say?" I'm like, "You're right. What are you supposed to say?" But I'm like, "You literally changed my life. Like I, I, I picked up the guitar because of you." And I thought that what he had, you could learn. It took me 20 years to realize that what he has, you can't learn. It's special. It is. You can, you can steal his licks, and you can cop his tone, and you could buy the same amp and the same guitar. You're still not going to sound like him. And, and and in a way, like it's like it's like Jeff Beck. Like I think Slash can go on playing indefinitely because I, anytime Jeff Beck comes near me, I'm going to go see him play because he's a one of a kind guitar player. Anytime Slash comes near me, I'm going to go see him play. He's a one of a kind guitar player. You know, he's just he just is. He's got that stamp. You know, he's got that fingerprint. You know. Yeah, and um, what's great is if you if someone who's you know a fan, we're a fan of of slash we're a fan of all these people that you know we also work with in the industry i mean you I, I share a stage with slash but i have much respect for him too but what's interesting is when you when i perform with him on stage and then we're friends you know just uh, as far as like traveling around the planet and and doing yeah. we do together what's great is that slash is to everyone else he's slash but to him he or anyone else that's you know successful well they don't know they're they're slash. Does that make sense? So, right, right, right. Guy, you know, we all walk through the airport. He's carrying a guitar and he's a guitar player in a band. And, you know, he's just doing his thing. But people kind of freak out. You know, I played with Gene Simmons. We toured around the planet. And, and if you're uh, if you're if you're I mean, that's the right attitude, though. I mean, I, I got to say, like about slash, like, he, of course, he must know he, he has a sense of who he is. But to not let it get to his head is, is admirable, I would say. That's the beauty. Yeah. Alice Cooper is like that. And I know you played with Alice. Yeah. You, you played with a lot of people. Like you just mentioned Gene Simmons, Alice Cooper. I know you played with uh, Brad Vince Neal and who else? Brad Whitford, Errol Smith. Brad Whitford, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're saying home. And uh, I mean, when I met you, I think you were playing, you were playing with Theory at the time. Uh, you know, so your, your, your cattle, your history is just like, it's insane. Like the, you've, you've bounced around some amazing uh, drum thrones. Uh, I think I... Uh, Clearly, I since I was a kid, I've always wanted to play with a uh, a lot of people and have yep. a good, you know, like um, just a vocabulary with all different musicians. So yeah. to, I, I never wanted to just play with you know the guys that I you know I played with you know in my basement with in my parents' place right. growing up. But, so right. it's been awesome that I get to you know play with all these people, and a lot of them are my heroes. And then yeah. you know some of these people are are um, people I, I you know I I can't imagine when I, if I was 
you know, a teenager saying, well, I would get to play with a, a member of members of Kiss, Aerosmith, uh, Alice Cooper, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, you know, those Amazing. posters on my wall, right? So yeah, how did that happen? I don't know. It's really cool. Well, you, you bring you bring a lot to all those bands, man. So it's like, you know, don't sell yourself short at all. You're, you're, you're bringing it for them. You know, there's a reason why you're there. Well, uh, but, I love that they're, they're interested. They, they're all good with like, I need a little bit of Winnipeg in my, uh, in, in my musical vocabulary. It's so. the rock and roll capital of Canada, man. It like is. it's, it, 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 you know, you're the, you're one of the ambassadors. Well, if the guess who set the mark and Neil Young, those are pretty good. It's right a pretty there. good starting so point. I can, you know, put myself anywhere, you know, in, in, you know, trying to follow in their footsteps. That's all I can ask for. So it's I a small it, little pretty town here. And you're from a you know pretty small place too, right? So I'm from a very small town, yeah. But I gotta say, Winnipeg is like one of those stops. We had to cancel the show there this summer. You know, obviously everything got canceled, but it's just one of those stops we always look forward to. Like the, it, it never disappoints. We've never, I don't think we've had a bad show in Winnipeg. It's just like it, you know, the audience they bring it. It's a good, gritty rock and roll town. Yeah, it's the it's like my well Eric Singer who I called earlier. We always say that because he's from Cleveland. And that's oh yeah, sort of the rock and roll capital in the states too. They're very similar in a way. They're just yeah. blue collar, gritty. Yeah. yeah. And Hamilton. Rock. Hamilton has a bit of that going on too, man. Oh, but, the Hammer you know. is such a great town. Like the fact that all these great bands yourselves living there and yeah. the energy there is really special. And I, I, you know, it's different than Toronto. And I don't oh, want yeah. to bag on Toronto, but I'm. I oh, it's, but it's different. Toronto. It's definitely different. Yeah. So listen, I, we got we got carried away catching up, and it's so good to see you. But I, I do, this is about building this playlist here. I'm doing your next favorite jam, you know, according to jam. Uh, I'm just, I'm just adding songs to this thing every week. What do you want to, uh, what do you want to add to it? Well, I could go like a new thing I'm, I'm vibing on or something old. You tell one me. Of, one, how about one of each? Well, okay. So I love Jellyfish. Yeah. Jellyfish is a band that always has, uh, you know, everyone from that band has gone on to great things. Like, um, you know, Eric Dover, who played guitar in the band and sang, sang as well. He ended up in Slash's band. He All right. Snake Pit singer. That's but, right. Um, a lot of the Jellyfish bands, all, I mean, of course, I love Jellyfish for their Beatlesque, Beach Boys. You know, there's just so many like classic rock bands that they're influenced uh, by. But everything that isn't just um, from Jellyfish, everything else around jellyfish is always cool to me so there's a new uh band that eric dover has with roger manning the uh the keyboardist and tim smith and tim smith was in jellyfish as well but he's been with Sheryl crow for years tons okay. of good games, but they have a thing called the licorice quartet and it's some cool okay. power pop stuff and you should check it out um i think uh oh, what's the new the, the first oh, you could probably spotify it i think it's called yeah, i'm uh, looking for it right now i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah, try to go, or is it the licorice experiment no, Licorice Quartet. Okay. L-I-C-K, Licorice. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Licorice Quartet. Got it. Like, first tune will work. Lighthouse Spaceship, super cool. Okay. Lots of pop sensibility. Uh, cool. Yeah, put that in there, because it's brand new. I'm going to add this. Okay. And, Love it. Uh, and let's just go back. Like, I, I, I rediscovered, do you remember the Archangels? Yeah, of course. I don't know if that's like, I saw them in that's Vegas a long time Austin, ago. Texas, right? Yeah, when they reunited in like, Todd Kearns and I, we weren't playing together yet, but we both showed up at the show together. 
and I thought, mm -hmm. oh, Todd, I forgot, you know, I, you know, uh, yeah, Todd likes cool music too. So we both kind of sat and watched the show together and, hung right. out and actually hung out with the band. But anything on that, that, that one Archangels record is, is uh, I'm always listening to that. It's not coming up on, uh, I wonder if there's one, if there's one of those, what is it? So there's a good song, See What Tomorrow Brings. It's kind of a ballad. It's really greasy and groovy and uh, great solo. Like Doyle Bramall, of course, the guitar player. Yeah. Really awesome. And he's a lefty plays upside down hey you ever seen him like i think he played with roger waters for a lot of years yeah he yeah he did and, and eric clapton too he played with eric clapton yeah. for a while charlie Sexton uh, singing in that band both those guys sang but it's you know uh, stevie ray vaughn's rhythm section chris layton uh, that's right yeah yeah all I, right i'm I, gonna find it see what tomorrow brings I'll, I'll, oh here it is here it is right killer that's good um there's a couple. I always tell people, like, I'm going to add these songs to the playlist, but go home, put on headphones, crank them in your car, because it's not going to sound good coming over your smartphone, you know. But uh, I'm going to add these to the list. And I yeah. want to put one slash featuring Miles Kennedy, the Conspirators track. And, and, like, you guys made good records all along the whole thing. So, like, tell me one that you recommend or you want people to hear. Um, well, amongst band guys in the band, we, you know, if we've said to each other, like, what song defines our band? Um, seems like Wicked Stone was sort of like somewhere down the middle. It was just a good, and it ended up being a, one of the songs on the last tour that Slash spread out the whole, like, it was where he, he did his extended solo during right. Bring the Night. It's yeah. kind of a tempo song. But it, um, it kind of has everything, you know, great vocals, flashes, solos, ripping on it. And, um, and probably has hints of the, the past, a little bit of Guns N' Roses-y, Greasy vibe. But I... I Aerosmith in that riff too, for sure. Yeah. And I love playing that song every night. And actually, it's, ever since it was written and added to the set list, it's been played every night. So obviously, it holds, holds merit. Totally. Anastasia is pretty strong from the first record. Cool. Yeah, put uh, put Wicked Stone in there. That's a good one. That's great, man. Great aggressive slash rhythm playing in there. The right and left double. I love it. Yeah, he's got a lot of rhythm in his playing that's, you know, I don't have to, even though if I'm, like we talked earlier about keeping the tempos and, and me kind of controlling that, he's got that built into him. He's very articulate with his pick finger. He uses very thick um picks and it's right. really aggressive and and um and it's actually great to play along to because he is you know digging in he's never you know he's not a floater if that's even a term like he's just no, I know what you mean. he is yeah. on it so um so i i am often you know just locked in with him so that wicked stone sort of you can hear it the way we, that's a that's live off the floor that's one of those tunes where it was recorded as a bed track with drums and guitar at the same time, you know, in this in a but, studio live. But that would probably be two slashes, right? That wouldn't be a Frank and a slash. That would probably be two, like right and left slashes, right? That's what it sounds like to me. On that record, yeah. Yeah. On the cool. first uh, record, Apocalyptic Love, Slash really wanted Miles to play all the rhythm. 
Right. And Miles was a little overwhelmed because vocally he was coming up with a lot of melodies and lyrics. And then he's like, oh man, I got to have all this other guitar stuff ready. On the second right. record, World on Fire, he um, slash played all the guitar. Right. Uh, Frank Norris was already in the band as, you know, a member of the band, had toured yeah. around the planet with us, but didn't record that record. So on Living right. the Dream, the last one, it's all left and right, Frank and, 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 uh, and Slash. Right. Well, there, but there is something different about doubling yourself versus two yeah. different guys playing the same riff. That, that creates a different thing. You know, and like there's certain things like in like the case of Slash with like Locomotive or something like that. Like you can tell it's two slashes, even though there's an Izzy in there somewhere. But you know what I mean? Like it's just like right and left and then rhythm down the center. It's, it's just a different sound when the same guy does, the, does it twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, it's great. I, I do love how, you know, I'll use Aerosmith as a great example because very much, and working with Brad, I realized how strong of a, a musician he is. And He's incredible. In Aerosmith, but yet not the standout over Joe Perry, but finding a very mm -hmm. important place to be very powerful and, and musical, but not having to showboat, I guess is, yeah. is a great way to, and, and maybe Izzy and Slash, and uh, you know, uh, on those records, just complemented well, and and but I love that. I love when two two interpretations of a part and they complement each yeah. other. And especially when you're listening, of course, you don't get to listen in headphones enough on our phones, you know, when we're listening in our cars. But if you can actually sit down and analyze how guitar parts are on some certain records, I'm sure ACDC, when you hear Malcolm and Angus Young, it's it's yeah. two different vibes, and it's great. It is. They're a band that right and lefts. But they're brothers, right? Like it's it's not two Anguses, it's an Angus and a Malcolm. But when they play it together, because they're brothers, it's like halfway between doubling and not. You know, yeah. similar, so similar, but it sounds so beautiful. You know. And then you could say Eddie Van Halen didn't have that, but yet, some like interesting how powerful that was when you listen to a Van Halen record. And actually, right. the guitar is hard. I think it's hard left or whichever it is. But it's like right. it's not. It's not doubled. It's, it's just doing its own thing. It's true. Yeah, it's true, man. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I know you got things to do. You got Eric Singer to talk to and, and all kinds of stuff going on. But I want to thank you for coming and joining me and having a chat because we don't get to do this enough. So it's nice well, to do it. Angus. This worked out great. Nice to do um, it somewhat yeah. publicly and <laughs> draw people into our, our music, our muso conversation. We would have it anyway if it wasn't online. I would just call you and go, hey, what's going on? And we would have this. And we'd end up talking about Aerosmith. Yeah. I will say one thing quickly. We brought up Brad Whitford. We did our second record with Jack Douglas. And yeah. he would sing Brad Whitford's praises. You know, Jack, who did like their heyday hit records. Yeah. He would sing Brad's praises all day long. He said as a producer, Brad made his life so easy because he always came prepared and he had chops of steel. And I think Joe, because Joe was more of an artist and Joe, you know, kind of had like fits and starts of inspiration, you know, like he would yeah. come up with something brilliant, but then hit a wall and it wouldn't work anymore. Whereas Brad was like a workhorse player. And he talked about Last Child being one of maybe his favorite solos he's ever recorded. That's a Brad solo. Um, and I just want to, I did want to throw a huge praise to Brad because Brad's a, a very important part of Aerosmith. He is. And he's also a Berkeley grad. So again, that's a different way of approaching it is he definitely played this, this, the, the, um, the solid rhythm, but but so excellent leads too. But it was you know because he came from Berkeley, he actually right. had a lot of you know his musical vocabulary. Like we talked a lot about you know um, like 
we would sit on the bus late night and stay up all night. Him and Derek St. Holmes were like teenagers when we toured together. And it was so great to be with guys who loved music. We would listen to Stones records and watch like reruns of like Playboy After Dark when they had all those cool 70s bands on that show. But right. like Brad would, I go, what are you listening to right now, Brad? And it'd be like some really cool, you know, New York uh, uppity horn section stuff. And he's like, oh, Snarky Puppy. That's my new, my new favorite band. So, awesome. I don't know if you know Snarky Puppy, but I know. seriously, some highbrow killer, you know, music stuff that's, you know, like, um, you just can't wing that kind of like, you know, he, he would appreciate it because those guys are probably all schooled, schooled musicians. It's like, uh, I'll, put, know, I'll, Zappa, I'll put it, just because it came up, I'll put a Snarky Puppy thing on, on this. Uh, amazing. Yeah. I love hearing that. I love hearing guys that have been going at it this long, still just searching around for something to stay inspired with. And, that, and that's, again, like to bring it all full circle. Like I started doing this show when we went into lockdown. I was like, I can't play live. I just want to like, I still want to discover music and talk about music and like pass on cool shit to people. You know what I mean? So yeah. I started doing this and it's been, it's been great fun. It's been, uh, yeah. So even though we're not performing in front of people, I think, we're still get being um, charged cathartically with talking about music and listening to music and celebrating it. And I mean, they're right. Nothing better than playing in front of a live audience, but no. it, this feels pretty good. It feels like, um, you know, like old times. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. So keep it up. Keep it All up. right, Brent. Great All to right, see you, man. Brother. Thanks so much for coming man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Be well. Yeah. You too, man. Bye.